I think last Sunday, this is a little bit more of a teaching situation, I think, than just a, a kind of a, uh, a sermon. And so you need to have your Bibles there and you need to have the bulletin, uh, the back of the bulletin and perhaps a pen so you can write some other scripture down and look at that later and study that later uh, as we go through this time together this morning. Uh, if you missed last Sunday, we do have it up on the website, part one, and you may want to check that out and go through that since it builds this service or this sermon, this study builds on that one. And uh, I'll explain that, but we don't need to re-preach that one. We're going to go on to finish out our, our message. But you may need to go and watch that if you haven't done it before or you want to do it again to take some more notes or see what we're talking about. Uh, please um, feel free to do that. Uh, we are talking in the transitional process, as you know, as we build and look at ourselves and try to seek God's will for what he wants our church to be and do. In this process, we're trying to introduce the fact that Churches have a certain kind of way or things they do that we call a church culture. That church culture is different among different churches, but basically it should be primarily focused on some very serious and important principles that we find in the Bible. So, for example, in the Great Commission, that's our marching orders, that's our foundation that Jesus told us to go there for and, and teach all nations and baptize them and, and uh, help them to grow and know that Jesus is with them, with us always, and he has all power. That's our marching orders. That's our very first foundational principle. But what we do after that, we can examine in the early church what they did. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it tells us in that context that they did five different things, and that became part of their church culture. It was part of their mindset, the part of their behavior, what they did. And so we remember that um, they continued in the apostles' doctrine, right? And they continued um, in, in ministry or fellowship, and they continued, I'm going to get all these right, they continued in, um, well, evangelism, if you look in the context, um, and I'm trying to miss, I'm trying to remember one. The last one is prayer. Oh, that frustrate me to no end until I find out what that is. So I'm going to make sure. I, I went over it just a few minutes ago saying you're going to remember this. And I said, no, I'm going to have a senior moment. That's what's happening to me. Okay. All right. 242, 42. Oh, yeah. The Apostles' Doctrine to the Fellowship or Ministry. And worship, how could I forget worship? To the breaking of bread and to prayer. But prayer is a critical thing. And actually it becomes, as I'm going to share this morning, I think a key to our spiritual growth and maturity and development and satisfaction. Prayer is a very important part of that. And yet sometimes we don't do it enough and we don't sometimes understand it enough and even as the original disciples, they needed to go to Jesus and say, teach us to pray. That's what we want to do. We want to learn how to pray. So we divided this into two sermons on a practical primer on prayer. And we're choosing a kind of a, 
an acronym, uh, a way of remembering this by using the term ACTS, A-C-T-S. And last Sunday we did A and we did um, the C and we talked about today, we're going to talk about T and S. So ACTS or A is actually affirmation of God's presence that he's, the Bible tells us that if we know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, he never leaves us. He never abandons us. He's always there. And then adoration, which is adoring God. I mean, one of the joys that we have is to be able to adore this wonderful, holy, awesome God. Yes, he is a God sometimes of judgment, but he's a God of great mercy and care. And it's a joy to be able to connect with him and have a relationship with him, which prayer fosters and helps us develop. And then we talked about confession and the need to come before him confessing our sins and allowing him as we confess our sins to develop the restitution and the restoration that we need to do to be part of his family because sin tends to keep us away from God. It puts a barrier in front of our relationship with God and we want to have an, a clean relationship, a, an open relationship, a relationship that comes to our holy God and gives him glory and honor as we are trying to be faithful servants and faithful disciples. And anything that gets in the way is sin and we need to be able to handle that and to ask God because he forgives us and then he cleanses us and that process of cleansing is important. So we got to that point, A and C, and now we're going to open up the door to talk about uh, thanksgiving. Uh, Gregory Frizzle, Frizzle said prayer is a relationship far more than a mere ritual or discipline. In other words, prayer isn't just a set thing you say at a certain time of the day. There are religions who base their ideas on saying the exact same words over and over again at the same time or at a set time of the day. But Prayer for the believer, understanding the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, isn't just a discipline or a ritual. We don't have canned prayers that we say all the time, nor is it do we do certain rituals, bowing or any other kinds of thing, physical things. Prayer is really the basis of a relationship with a holy and wonderful God. And so when we understand that, we know and we begin to, to uh, respond to God in that relationship to keep it open and to keep it vibrant and to keep it deepening. Because the walk of a believer as a disciple isn't just believing certain things, it's having a relationship with God. And that relationship deepens as we walk with Him. See, sometimes people think, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but people think that we got to know Jesus and God snaps his finger and we're cool. That's it. You know, everybody's cool and that's all that God does. But see, we miss the point that when we come to know Christ Jesus, we have an eternal relationship that begins when we come to know him and through all eternity. And Jesus takes us as we are babes in Christ, maybe immature spiritually. We might be mature physically, but not necessarily spiritually. 
And God takes us and begins to work with us through his son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us to what he wants us to be. In his will, he wants us to grow and serve him, and he will bring to us what he wants us to be, which is the greatest thing of life. It's not what we want to be. What he wants us to be is the highest and the greatest and the most important thing you can do because it brings with it soul satisfaction, soul nourishment. We become what God wants us to be the more we learn to pray. And prayer is the key. Prayer is, as we're going to find out this morning, if we do it all together, we can pray forever. We can talk to him all the time. People, uh, Paul said, pray without ceasing. Well, how do you do that? Well, we learn how to develop this prayer relationship with God, and God blesses us in every moment of our lives, every part of eternity as we come to know him, his grace, his love, his character, his care for us. And we get to work with him and serve him. And he teaches us and we grow. And you know what? God turns around and his purpose is to use us as a blessing for others. That they begin to hear and know and see this same God who's working in our lives and recognize their sinfulness as the Holy Spirit convicts them and their need to come to know this Savior that we have. And so that's the exciting thing, I think that we want to do here. So you can remember ACTS, adoration or affirmation, adoration, confession. And now we're going to go to Thanksgiving. So the first slide, we need to have the necessary Thanksgiving. Now, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and he tells them a lot of things. In verses uh, 16 through 18, you can, you can read that there. But this is what he says, rejoice always and then pray constantly. This is the, King, the, the Christian Standard Bible. The King James says, pray without ceasing. That's where you get that phrase. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And then this is what he tells the church at Thessalonica, the believers there. He says, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Giving thanks to God is very appropriate after we have affirmed his presence in our lives, recognized that he's there, he doesn't leave us, and we've adored him and thanked him and give, or just adored him and told him what we love him. And when we confess our sins, it's very appropriate to follow that with thanksgiving. In fact, it's necessary. All of these parts work together. You just can't do one without the other you need to understand that relationship in prayer is a process. So we thank God for who he is and what he's done for us. Psalm 103 uh, says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness, that's mercy and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. See, there's joy in blessing the Lord. Blessing the Lord gives thanks to him. You say, thank you, God. I thank you for what you've done. Jesus, if you take him as an example throughout the New Testament, constantly gives thanks to God. As a matter of fact, when we do the Lord's Supper, Jesus took the bread and broke it and gave thanks. And he did the same thing with the cup. So we need to learn in our thanksgiving at least two major things 
and then a few more minor things. But the major thing is, first of all, to give thanks to God for who he is. This is akin or close to being praise. God's not a nasty ogre, a monster. He doesn't lack power. He's not fickle. He's a marvelous, amazing creator of the universe. And we need to give thanks to him for creating us in his image. You know? There's a story about Adam getting kind of high on his horse, thinking a lot of himself. And God said to him, well, remember, Adam, I created the mosquito too. To pester you, to remind you, yes, you are created in my image. And that's a very important thing and a wonderful thing. We need to give God praise and thanks, thanks to for who he is. Because if you've gone through the affirmation, adoration, and confession, you've confessed to him and he has what? Forgiven you. Isn't that worth thanking him? John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Isn't that worth thanking him over? Thanking him that he's trying to help us, but thanking him for being that kind of God? The second important thing is to remember to give thanks for what God has done for us. He gave us Jesus Christ. He allowed Jesus to die on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and saved us from our sins and we're forgiven of our sins, then we have blessings. Blessings come to us in the Christian life. Blessings are all the things that God wants to do for us. Sometimes we think of them, they're, blessing, they're physical blessings. Sometimes there are material blessings. There are always spiritual blessings. And sometimes God brings people into our lives. The things that he's done for us to have good friends and loved ones and spouses and, and church family that just guides us and helps us in our lives. We need to be thankful for this. Not take things for granted. Not expect, expect that you owe that to us or we're entitled to it but to be thankful that he took us and he created us. And when we sinned, he gave Jesus to die on the cross to restore us, to forgive us. And that's a joyous thing to be thankful for. When you go to the Lord in prayer and you exercise the necessary thanksgiving, it's helpful to be specific, to thank God for specific things. Not always just, oh, thank you, God. We're glad that you did it. But tell him what you're thankful for. In your prayer journal that we talked about last Sunday, you can have a section called Thanksgiving. And be specific. Make a list of things that shows God's goodness to us. That is, what has God done for you? Well, I, I don't know. Well, if you write them down, you can go back and you can see God's hand in your life as you read over again what he's done for you, to remind you of the things that God has done for you. What does the, the song say? Count your blessings, name them one by one. So write them down and count them and thank God for them because God is gracious and he's given them to you. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica and he said, give thanks in everything. In everything, give thanks to God. God is gracious. God loves us. 
There is never a time when Thanksgiving is out of place. In fact, there was a, a lady who, who was asked how she was feeling, and she replied, well, I have a terrible headache, but, praise the Lord, I still have a head to ache. She's giving thanks to God. We can always give thanks to God. When you do your prayer and you come to him in thanksgiving, check out the Psalms. We read part of one. We read one today that talks about giving thanks to God. We, we have Psalms that talk about understanding the character of God and his nature and his love, and we can give thanks to that. And then check out the hymn book. Take a hymn book with you and find those great songs of the faith that we sing Sunday by Sunday that offer up thanks to God. There's nothing wrong with doing that. As a matter of fact, every season of prayer, every time you come together in prayer and you begin your relationship with God in prayer, you should always have thanksgiving. Affirmation, adoration, confession, and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is absolutely necessary because it tells God that we have come for the purpose of thanking him. We are not arrogant little people who want everything and are entitled to things and who are babied and, and given everything and then we run off and think we owe, God deserves to give it to us and he owes it to us. We're coming in thanksgiving and thanking him for his character of mercy and love and for him showing that character to us and living and helping us to live in the proper way as believers in Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving has to be there. But there's another point, and that is number two, um, the necessary supplication. And the necessary supplication, uh, we're going to see, has a bunch of S's there. And uh, we're going to finish up in just a moment on another important one. But I wanted you to recognize that this fills out, in a way, the acronym ACTS. So we have affirmation, adoration, confession, supplication. So what does it mean, or what do I mean when I'm talking about supplication? Well, Paul again wrote to Timothy, and he said, first of all, this is in 1 Timothy 2.1, he said, first of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. So already we've already talked about thanking God for the people in our lives, believers, family, friends. But we also need to know that we need to actually pray for them and pray for ourselves. Um, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he said, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So in other words, God is someone who wants to hear from us and wants to hear about our needs and desires and our wishes. He's not just somebody out there that we bow down to, we bring everything to him, and then we hide and run away from him. He actually wants to be involved in our everyday relationship. Isn't that amazing? A God who created us who wants to be involved in our lives. And he does that through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we come down in prayer, we come to the part of supplication. Now... The problem has been, for a lot of our prayers, is that we ignore the A, C, and T, and we go right to the S. And we go right to the S in terms of asking for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with seeking for ourselves, 
But that's what we want to do. I want the Mercedes-Benz, because everybody else has a Porsche, or I want this, or I want that, and we ask sort of like, gimme, 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 and that's all we think of God is that great vending machine in the sky. We punch the right buttons, we go to church enough, we do certain things, and God's just going to shower us with everything that we want. The problem is, when we want what we want, we often want only the things that don't help us, that are part of our desires and our lusts and those kinds of things. And they're just part of sinful, uh, they're just sinful things that hurt us and destroy us. And we don't really want what God wants. And God wants to bless us, to, to grow us, to help us learn how to live in this life that he's given to us and how to develop a relationship with him for all eternity. So it's not, a, it's not the first thing we do is to run to seek to petitions for ourselves. As a matter of fact, the supplication that we first need to do after we've done the affirmation, adoration, confession, and thanksgiving should be for others. So I'm going to suggest that we should seek through prayer for others. That's what we call intercession. In other words, seeking, S, supplication, going to God, means that we go for the benefit of others. See, it's not me first, but it's others. Seeking through prayer for others. We often get them reversed, and we go right away to praying for ourselves, but we need to pray for others. When Peter was arrested in Acts chapter 12, the church wasn't busy praying for themselves, they immediately, as we find in Acts 12, 5, that prayer was made without ceasing by the church unto God for Peter. Peter was in trouble, they prayed for Peter. And what did God do? God sent an angel who broke the chains and opened the prison doors to set Peter free. Seeking for others means focusing the power of God on another person or a special situation. We do this so that God can release his spirit and his power and his redemptive love into that situation. As intercessors, through our prayers, we are saying, Lord, focus your power there on this particular need. We pray for others. God is more likely to reach someone else if we pray many times than if we just prayed once. Our prayers need not be lengthy for them, but we need to pray for the people that God has brought to our hearts to understand their need and for God to work in their lives as well. I would be more than, than I would be very happy if, if everyone in the church prayed for everyone in the church, specifically. For foremost and and most importantly, before we pray for ourselves. The beautiful thing about praying for others is that the person I pray for doesn't need to know we prayed for them at all. We just pray for them. It's between us and God. Wherever that person is, uh, or whatever the situ situation is, I can kind of, to use a little bit more modern terms, beam my prayer to the Lord and God can do his work in connection with a person that I'm praying for. And the whole purpose of praying for others is for God's glory to be made known, to be shown, to work in that situation, in that need. We need to learn to pray specifically for people. Well, you know one thing that does? It means us 
to pay attention and get to know that person. Not in a nasty way, not because of gossip, not because we're trying to diss them or dump on them, but we truly, and this is interesting, we truly want them to be blessed by God, to grow, to deepen, to walk closer to the Lord. It becomes our goal for God to bless them. You see, we continue to put below all these other things our personal desires and needs. And we raise all these things up higher, and that relationship begins to, to help us grow. Because our hearts are taken away from looking at our own circumstances and ourselves, putting them on God, affirming His presence, adoring Him, confessing that we are not holy people who can stand in the presence of a holy God, but we're sinners who stand in the need of His grace and forgiveness. And we can thank Him for who He is, and then we can pray for others. And that's part of what supplication should be. First, praying for others. Use a prayer notebook. Pray for your family. Pray for your church family. Pray for the lost, unchurched, and those who don't go to church or did go to church and then don't go anymore. Pray for special needs. Whatever the Holy Spirit guides us to do, we need to keep praying for others. Now, supplication is supposed to be directed towards others, but there is a prayer where we seek for ourselves. This is called petition. We bring maybe a personal petition to the Lord. Somebody might say, well, I'm a believer. Why do I even have to ask God? Why do I have to ask him for myself? Because by asking him, we begin to experience that relationship with God. Prayer is the experience whereby we bring our lives into harmony with God, with God's will, so that he can bestow his highest blessings on us. We need to ask him, Lord, help me. Teach me how to get through this. I can't do it myself. My strategy doesn't always work. I don't have the power to do it, but you can come to God and ask him and he will help you. He has the power. He has the knowledge. He has all the ability. And more than that, he knows what's best for us and where we need to go. And so in this relationship, we begin to ask God for ourselves and he begins to teach us. God gives us spiritual blessings through prayer as we deepen and as we walk with him. Why do we ask God to pray? Well, because it's like the technical word is sanctification, but I like to think of it as a two-sided coin. Sanctification refers to spiritual blessings, helping us become greater, deeper, more committed Christians. So there's two sides to that. One is what God does, and the other is what we do. Now, we can't do anything by ourselves to affect any kind of holiness or development of ourselves. But what God expects us to do is to yield our hearts to him. And you know what? Then he does it. Then he can do it because we become faithful to him. So that's the two-sided coin, what God does and what we do. When we yield our hearts to him, come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior seek to turn over our will to his will, then that's when God begins to work and he uses prayer to teach us how to do it. That's why prayer is a key thing for the church. More than anything else, I need the assurance that the Lord is with me and his spirit is leading me and empowering me and I need to come to him with that concern. I should begin each day by asking the Lord to come afresh in my heart. Somebody said, oh, well, I'll wait to the revival and then I'll get revived. But folks, you can be revived every morning. 
every day when you pray to the Lord and say, Lord, I know that I don't always do what I need to do, but I want to do more for you. I want to serve you. I want to grow for you. So you need to pray, petition, really, really personally to pray that God will show his presence in your life, that God will teach you how to walk in his will. Luke eleven thirteen says, How much more shall our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? We need to pray for the Holy Spirit's power and spiritual growth in our life. The fruits of the Spirit. Let's pray for those fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. We should take our prayer book and list in our journal specific, nah, excuse me, all those S's, specific areas in our life where we're going to claim victory from God and for God. Those things that keep us from being close to him, bad habits or fear or sin. Instead, we should pray for courage and for boldness and for strength and for the ability to yield our hearts to Jesus Christ. It's been called crucifying the flesh. Paul wrote to the church at Galatians, he said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the goal, God's will in our life. As we go in prayer and we go to him and we begin to walk with him, he helps us to become more like him. And so others will see Jesus in us. List your personal prayer request in your book. So supplication is seeking prayers for others and seeking prayers for yourself. The final conclusion is another S, and I call that surrender. Surrender. Affirm God's presence, adore Him, confess your sins, give thanks to God, Seek to pray for others, supplication for others, supplication for yourself, and finally, surrender. Gregory Frizzle said there are five types of prayer, writing his book on prayer. He talks about prayer, praise and thanksgiving, confession, petition, intercession. Then he comes up with this last one, which I'm going to call surrender, and others have called surrender. He calls it meditation. The thing that we don't sometimes do in prayer is just simply to be still. We finish our prayer, we say, thank you, God, and then we run on and do what we want to do. But there needs to be a time of meditation, the act of reflecting on God's word and quietly listening for his still, small voice. You know, how would God actually talk to us? Prayer ought to be, somebody said to me, prayer is just a one-way conversation. You talk to God. But I said, where's, where's the relationship in that? If prayer is a relationship, there has to be a give and take, a mono to mono, back and forth. Well, how does God speak to us? Um, last I checked, there's no celestial phone system that you could dial him up on a cell phone or somewhere. He doesn't put neon lights in the sky. He's not flashy. He doesn't wear a lot of bling so that everybody pays attention to him. He's quiet. Through the Holy Spirit, sometimes other believers, sometimes signs, sometimes circumstances, God speaks to us 
And we have to be willing to listen. Surrender or meditation is quiet reflection on God's word and in your prayer time being open to the Holy Spirit and his leading. Prayer is not just us talking. It's not talking at all. It's actually seeking to develop the relationship that we have with God and it ends with meditation. It ends with surrender. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, the very first verse is more famous. It's about how we can avoid sinful things. How happy is the man? Literally, blessed is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. But we sometimes forget verse 2. Verse 2 says, he doesn't do this or we don't do this. Instead... The faithful one's delight is in the Lord's instruction, the teaching, the guidance, the leadership. And then it says, and in that, he meditates day and night. There's a meditation. That word meditation is literally one of those anomatopoetic words. Um, it sounds like, it's, in Hebrew, it's haga, 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 haga. It sounds like a dove or a pigeon cooing, you know? And actually, that's the words used for that. What the pigeon or dove does when it sits there and it just, goo, goo. I mean, that's how we say it. But meditating is just letting God teach us. Focusing upon his will, focusing upon our prayer, is when we search and we find the Lord. Jeremiah said, you will search for me. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. You will search for me and you will find me when you search with me with all your heart. We must have time to pause and listen. We must have time to reflect upon what God has taught us in our prayer and taught us in our Bible study and what he wants us to do in his leadership. Listening to God, according to Gregory Frizzle in his book on prayer, and I agree with him, listening to God is the fundamental key to an effective prayer life. Prayer is not saying to God, gimme, gimme, gimme. Prayer is saying, in quietness, teach me, Lord. Teach me how to serve you. Teach me how to be faithful. Teach me how to tell others. Teach me how to have boldness to live a Christian life in the midst of sinfulness in the midst of darkness. Listening to God is the fundamental key to our relationship. If we don't have a very good relationship with God, it's probably because we're not listening. It's probably because we're not praying. James tells us that the prayer of the righteous individual is very powerful in its effect. And we all want to do that, pray for others and have God work. But the powerful effect could be on ourselves as we grow and as we learn. Prayer is our discovering what God wants to do and prayer is our discovering how we can join him in co-laboring through our prayers. I guess we could say what we are as believers depends on our prayer life. And it's probably often true that when Christians struggle they have not struggled well in prayer. I think that prayer and our Christian faith demands lifelong prayer 
warriors, people who learn how to pray, people who learn how to pray constantly, who learn how to be changed through prayer, who learn how to hear God through prayer. I suppose that you would say that if you got married and you didn't talk to your spouse, meet your spouse, be around your spouse, in any way, shape, or form, listen to your spouse, that would be an absolute formula for a quick divorce. Because the relationship is one way. As a believer in the church culture, if we want to be an essential church, if we want to see God move in great and mighty ways, we need to develop as prayer warriors, constantly praying and developing in Jesus Christ through praying. So you say, well, I don't know about all those things. They sound kind of hard to do and they're not, I'm not sure. It says, well, the answer is just start now. <laughs> and just start going to the Lord. You, you really don't have to have a fancy acronym to do it. I mean, I like affirmation, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. And then the, the three S's, the supplication for others, supplication for ourselves, praying for ourselves. And then surrendering. I think all those are good. But you can just start where you are. Humbly coming before the Lord. Because the one unique thing about our God is that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, the Holy Spirit is in your heart. And the interesting thing is God has used the Holy Spirit to teach us and will use the Holy Spirit to teach us how to grow and develop his, the relationship that we should have with him. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a different ending to our service this morning, but we're going to do a hymn of invitation. Um, he will hold me fast, and we're going to have the musicians come forward. But all you have to do where you are as we sing is say, Lord, I want to learn how to have a really effective and deeper prayer life. And yield your heart to the Holy Spirit. And you know what? The Holy Spirit will help you do that. If you're looking for a church home and as we receive church members, you want to join with us to be a church family, we invite you to come and tell us that. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but, or you're not sure and you want to double check what the scriptures say, we invite you to come during the invitation. Maybe it's just to come and pray or whatever you feel God leading you to do, you come as we stand and sing our hymn of invitation. Amen. Would you rise with us, please?